Good morning, everyone. Am I, am I on? Yes. I'm going to have to get used to this. It feels like I'm in a boy band and I'm about to sing something really cool. Um, but I'm not. I'm here to share the word this morning, and it's a real privilege for me to do that. Um, being the new guy on the block, as it were. Thanks for that. I like the applause. And, um, yeah, I've I, I got two things to really do today. One is to share a theme, and that's dependence on God. There we go. And the other thing is to share some of our journey, some of my journey in this, um, because I certainly haven't got that right a lot of the time, if I'm honest. And so this morning, that's what I want to do. And if there were to be some texts that really grounded us in this theme this morning, they would be the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield or give in to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And the second text would be Psalm 23. But I just want to read the opening line. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Today I want to talk to you about dependence on God. Dependence like a child has with their parents. I know many of you have been parents in this room. We are currently parents. You probably hear our kids a lot this morning. And not just like a child has on their parents, but like a sheep has with the shepherd. We watched Babe last night. Any of you seen that movie? Babe? The, the, the talking pig? Yeah? It's interesting. Um, but it's really interesting just observing how dumb sheep are. Like, they are dumb, man. Like, they don't know a thing. They can't get themselves from here to here in a line. Right. I mean, we can do that. But sheep rely 100% on the shepherd, 100% on that, on that person that is guiding them and leading them to where they need to go. And this message of dependence on God comes out of our own journey, Amelia and I's journey, particularly over the last year. But really, as I've reflected on my life throughout all 32 years of it so far, it's been like this when it comes to depending on God. It really has. You see, dependence is opposed to the culture that we live in, isn't it? Within the radical individualism that has emerged since the Enlightenment, and that's a whole other message, but self-sufficiency is a badge of honour. We're employed, implored to be, as the poet once said, the master of our fate, the captain of our soul. Or, for the younger audience in this room, just do you. Just do you. And I just want to say what stupid advice that is. Like, honestly, it doesn't get you very far. See, the main problem with self-sufficiency and doing it on our own is it's dehumanizing. That is, it goes against the very grain of our humanity of who we were created to be. God, at the very outset of creation, said, it's not good for men to be alone. We were created to do life in relationship with others, trusting and relying on one another, and 
we were created to do life absolutely dependent on God, walking with him, talking with him, trusting in his love and goodness. And better yet, joining with him in bringing the potential out of all of creation. That's what the Garden of Eden is all about. Spreading that garden of delight into all the world. However, in reaching out for the tree of knowledge and good and evil and all that represents it, we join with the evil one in rebelling against God's rule and seizing autonomy for ourselves. And the story of Scripture, really, in a nutshell, is just the mess we made after that, trying to do it our way, eh? You know, between Genesis 1 and 2 to Revelation, it's the story of the mess that we made trying to do this thing on our own. And so, this is not just some universal concept this morning. I want to bring it round to our faith journey. And we'll spend a lot of time here this morning, so bear with me. But I felt it was really important to share some of my journey as the new face in this family and to just really be as honest as I could about where we've got it wrong. And so the first two decades of my life, I just want to say, were more like this scripture. My parents are my shepherd. I think it's going to come up soon. I have all that I need. Like that was it for me. I was the youngest of five kids. I had a good man. I had a good. Did not want for anything. And you see, yes, I I, I came to know God and I, I came to really desire God, but I didn't really need him. I didn't really need him in the way a child needs a parent or a sheep needs a shepherd. And so as my teenage years came into life, faith sprouted for sure, and and I walked with God. But I just had so much on my plate, so much going on, so much good things coming my way that I just didn't really much need God. Like, that was the truth of it. But, you know, this was to change when I reached my 20s. What is it about the 20s? Hey, like, honestly, overrated. I'm glad I'm in my 30s now. (laughs) But what I started to experience was this. Have it... Have any of you seen the Titanic? Mostly a good movie. A few bits you need to like duck your head for, but mostly a good movie. And, and this is what I experienced, this gap between what I thought life would deliver and what it started to deliver, this gap between expectations and reality. It began with the slow unravelling of my sense of calling to ministry. Following school and a year of tertiary studies, I entered a three-year journey of theological studies and interning at at a large inner-city church in Auckland. Over the course of this time, I experienced a sense of of call to ministry. I had a growing desire to give my heart to the church, and nothing else outside of this seemed for me. I was then offered a position on the pastoral staff of this church, which I accepted, in spite of starting to feel a bit disillusioned by how long it was taking. I mean, seriously, three years? Come on. Probably should have been looking to Noah or Abraham or some of those characters. How long they had to wait. But then, sure enough, I I landed that job and I I spent the next 18 months of life giving my all to this role and enjoying the camaraderie of the pastoral team as we went along. However, under the surface, I started questioning the definitions of church and community that I'd long taken for granted. And I started experiencing this disconnect between the vision I was starting to arrive at and the one this church continued to promote. 
And eventually this, this connect grew, or disconnect grew so much that I knew I had to leave. Shortly after this, stuff happened, and my dad, who had battled with cancer on and off for eight years, died. And it was pretty, pretty shocking. He was told at a certain point nothing else could be done, and he had weeks, not months, to live. And I remember being with mum and dad when they received that call. And it was intense. The grief of his death mixed in with the growing disillusionment I had over what seemed like the end of a calling. And disillusionment gave rise to resentment, and resentment gave rise to anger. All of which I brought into my relationship with Amelia. We'd uh, started dating by this stage, um, and I just dragged all of that mud into, into our marriage. You could say I entered the dark night of the soul well and truly. If ever there was a time I needed to depend on God, this was it. However, unlike David lamenting to God in my pit of despair, I turned to other things to medicate pain. Alcohol, cigarettes, the list goes on. One day I'd be angry and resentful toward my circumstances. The next, I'd descend into self-pity as I sort of shook my fist at the universe. This cycle of shame went round and round. God felt distant, uninvolved, but really I was the one turning away from him into destructive thoughts and behaviours. At heart, perhaps at the deepest level, I blamed myself for my suffering and my lot, or Rather, maybe more deeply, I blamed God. Both approaches were wrong and weren't good theology. I know that now. But my brokenness was in fine form and it took me a while to take this stuff to God. After months of this carry-on, I finally made a trip to see a counsellor. Hey, that was good, good, good advice. Thanks. Thanks, Amelia. She pushed me out the door for that one. And that was a turning point, for sure, of starting to open up more to others and to God. Just the act of opening my insides to another human being was powerful. But it wasn't a bed of roses after that. I still carried lots of questions about my vocational path. At the time, I was mowing lawns full-time and certainly wasn't finding fulfillment in this. And we were still attending the same church. That really wasn't working either. Then one day, I receive a call. It's from my bro, one of my brothers, and he says, look, there's a new church happening in town. My ears sort of perked up at that. And he said, they're looking for some worship leaders. They're really down on the ground. They're sort of just 80 people coming together, start up church. And so we checked it out. And eventually we sort of signed up to, to give our talents and our, and our time to that. Several months later, we were calling at our home church. And everything about this season was new and exciting. We relished the opportunity to be part of serving in it and being part of the team. And what started out as volunteering eventually became a full-time, or not full-time, but certainly paid role on staff, um, overseeing the worship team. I also took up further studies. However, in hindsight, we had our romantic glasses on. You know, we, we were idealistic. And we thought, hey... Suddenly this, everything's changed and completely new church and completely new vision of what community should be. And Sure enough, stuff hit the fan again and 
we entered a bit of conflict. We were leading this worship team, as I said, and there were some characters in there, man, I tell you what. They knew how to, yeah, how to assert their, their way. And we didn't quite know how to handle that. And so we backed off again. And once again, I found myself not leaning into God, but rather leaning into my feelings. And if I can have that slide here, yeah, right there. Feelings were the compass in my life at that time. Not God's word, not God's promises. It was feelings. And so what happened then was I doubled down. I got kind of all that willpower going on and I said, what do I need to do? This is not working. Ministry is not for me. And I sort of just huddled into myself and I was like, what am I good at? All that stuff. What's my personality? Did the Meyer Briggs? Did, uh, what's that other one? Enneagram. Did all the stuff that you do to kind of discover yourself. And what emerged was, hey, I'd be a good counsellor. So that's what I did for the next three years. I studied full-time to be a counsellor. And, you know, I just want to say, those three years, God was good. Even though we'd, I'd sort of just made this, this independent call on it, God was good. He blessed us with two kids over those three years, or five years. Um, we, we grew a lot emotionally, and, and our relationship, Amelia and I's relationship, really did come together more strongly. And God willing, we were even able to get to Disney World. Look at that. That was, that was a blessing. But after these studies and after I landed a counselling job, this question started to haunt me. And it was this question of, have I walked away from this calling, God? Like, I know this is a good fit for me and, and you know, it's working and it's rewarding work, like getting to work with young people and helping them sort through stuff. But I couldn't shake this question. It was this question of God. I feel as though maybe I've walked away from my first love. And so this question grew stronger and stronger. And as we led this young adults home group for about a year in 2018, it just kept growing stronger. We couldn't shake it. And so midway through last year, as we continued to struggle financially, because Man, that's a whole nother message. <laughs> um, we navigated a series of, of tough stuff. We had a miscarriage. Um, we were told uh, that, well, the straw that broke the camel's back was we were told we had to um, depart our rental in Auckland. And you guys know what Auckland's like, eh? It's, it's not good at the best of times with rentals. But we were in a pretty good place. We were, we were paying definitely under market. And when we were told that, something in us just broke. Like, that was it. And what I think what broke was our self-sufficiency, our doing it alone. And what began was a beautiful journey of depending on God. And that's where I want to call it my journey of dependence. And you see what? start of this journey for us was a promise. You know, we needed a promise. We, we were told, basically, you're in exile now. <laughs> you can't live here. And you probably can't live in Auckland. And so we were feeling like exiles. And God brought us to this. Psalm 18, verse 19. He brought me out into a spacious place. 
He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Spirit moved on me as I heard these words. They were in the middle of a sermon one Sunday morning. And I felt as though it was not just another promise. It was a God promise right to us. Right in the middle of that feeling of of being exiled, of having no place. And as we clung to these words, we didn't have any idea what this would look like, how it would look like, what that spacious place would be. But they were an anchor for the next few months. And so a few weeks later, we were in Topol. We were in this place, having a holiday. It's been a family holiday destination for many years. And as the week went by, we were just sort of just waiting on God, waiting to hear what he had for us. And towards the end of the week, during a morning time of quiet alone with God, as I surveyed the lake one morning, I sensed in my heart that this could be that place, that this could be the promise. In the next two, three months, we embarked on just this incredible journey of having this word confirmed as we made regular space to listen to God and hear his voice in prayer. And I've got to say, shout out to my mum, who's, who's a big prayer warrior, and she was with us through that journey, eh? sort of half a dozen times, if not more, of just waiting, praying, asking God, and leaning on him. And as our dependence on God grew, he also began to restore this dream of working in pastoral ministry. During these months, I've been exploring uh, counselling options. It was, of course, the natural succession plan, get a counselling job, continue that career. However, something in the form of a position description for assistant pastor at this church came up. And it, it just started stirring those deep longings of our heart. And as we took it to God in prayer, sure enough, he confirmed it. But you know, there was still this gap. And isn't that right in our lives? You know, there can be a word, there can be a promise. And there can then just be this huge chasm between that and how we think it's going to be fulfilled. And for us, that chasm required a faith step. See, having applied for this job here, I had in the meantime, sort of to have a plan B really, um, applied for another job in the counselling field. Just in case it didn't work out. But clearly, God didn't want us having a backup. And isn't he like that sometimes? He's like, no, no plan B for you. He made us have to decide ahead of time because we were accepted for the counselling job and it was only a shortlisting for this job here. And it came down to decision time. It was a fork in the road moment. Well, thankfully, faith comes from hearing, not from just sort of blind leaping. It comes from hearing God's word and we'd, we'd had that. And as we went back to those words, we knew what the right path was. And sure enough, you know how the story ends. I'm here today because of God's word, God's promise, 100%. And so we applied. And amazingly, around the same time, God provided for our physical needs. We were invited by family to stay in the family batch, free of charge while we looked for a place because we hadn't lined that up yet. We also hadn't lined up any other work, so if part-time work presented itself just at the right time, it was God's provision through and through. And so the last thing to do was leave, leave Auckland. 
And you know, that, that actually wasn't that hard. <laughs> that wasn't that hard. We just, we just had mixed feelings about leaving the whānau. You know, we leave a big whānau up in Auckland, all of my siblings and my mum, all of Amelia's siblings and mum and dad. And we were going to miss that, for sure. But we knew it was right. And so as we said our goodbyes, we looked ahead to the venture that lay ahead. Having shared some of this journey of depending on God, and you can see that most of it wasn't that. Having shared some of that, I, I just want to turn now to talking about what, what are some of the things that we actually need to depend on God for? Because you might be sitting here and going, well, you know, like, I'm doing pretty good. And, you know, relatively speaking, we're all doing pretty good today, this morning, in this place. But as I've turned to some scripture, and that would be the Lord's Prayer, we can see some pretty specific things in there about what we actually need to depend on God for. So I just want to spend a few moments there before looking at how do we begin to grow this dependence on God. So first thing we need as we look to the Lord's Prayer is daily bread. It says, Our Father who is in heaven, give us the food we need for today. Give us the food we need for today. Now, I'm imagining that most of us here aren't waiting on God in prayer for literal food to drop from heaven for today. Like, I'm imagining that most people here have stocked up pantries or a pretty full fridge or at least, at least some food to have for lunch today. But what this is getting at for us rather rich Westerners is it's getting at those physical needs. It's getting at that physical provision. And even when we forget that God is our provider because we've got the stocked up fridges and pantries and all of that, we must remember that all of that money to buy all of that stuff is from God. It's all a gift from our Father in heaven. You know, it's like, that is the give us today our daily bread. It's that acknowledgement. And as we think in context, the Israelites here listening to this and the Jewish people would have had the manna from heaven going on in the background. You know, we remember that day when we literally needed bread to drop from the sky. That was not too far from their minds as they heard this prayer going on. You know, in Exodus 16, what does it say? It says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. That was what was going on for them as they, they heard these words of Jesus. And I wonder what it is today that either you physically need, maybe you actually do need some food. And that's where we need to hear as a community of people that this is give us our daily bread. This is a community thing. If someone in this family does not have bread, then giving us our daily bread might mean, Lord, how can I provide for someone in need in this family who does not have their daily bread or other physical things? The second thing we hear in this prayer is, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. You know, we depend on God for forgiveness. And sometimes I think even we can forget that that sense of being pardoned for wrongdoings. It's not something we can find in ourselves. It is something we find only in God. 
just as the prodigal son could not forgive himself, but had to make the long walk home to his father until he felt the weight of guilt and shame lift. And so we must repent and, and embrace the embrace of the Father to be forgiven. This line also hints at the interconnectedness of our dependence on both God and others. Do you notice that? As we have forgiven those who sin against us. You know, we are to be like a cup running over with the grace of God, forgiving others just as we have received it. And of course, in the background, again, in other, in other scripture, we hear the, that sort of that theme from Jesus that says, He who has been forgiven much loves much. He who has been forgiven little loves little. Perhaps at times we need a greater revelation of how much we've been forgiven in Christ in order to forgive others. And I think, whereas the bread, the daily bread was the physical, I think this one is touching on the psychological. Where is it that we're holding on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness? Where is it that we need the healing of the Father to get rid of those emotional wounds in our lives? And lastly, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. I actually think this one is maybe one we need to hear the most in this day and age. We live in a pretty materialistic world. And this is saying, look, there is more than just God's will in the universe here, guys. There is Satan, the accuser. And his number one purpose is to steal, kill, and to destroy. And we have that, that scripture up there. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. But my, that is Jesus' purpose, is to give them life, or to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, when we pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one, we're saying, God, there's an intelligence beyond our intelligence out there that wants to wipe us out. And that is why we bend down knee again. We need deliverance, Lord. And not only deliverance from him, but deliverance from our own hearts, those disordered desires that try and pull us away from the will of God. You see, James 1 verse 13 and 14 says this. Come up on the screen. Bear with me. Do we? Yeah, we go. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And, they, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And see, sometimes we're wagging our finger at the enemy and it's us. And I can so relate to that. I'm preaching to myself, probably mostly here. So having looked at some of the reasons why we need to live in surrender and dependence to God... I now briefly just want to talk about some practicals. And we're going to end on this. What are some practical things that we can do as a community to begin building this dependence on him? And the first one, and it's not actually talked about that much, I don't think, is this one of solitude and silence. You see, constantly we see Jesus withdrawing from the crowds to spend time with his heavenly Father in prayer. To be alone in the quiet with God. 
time with the Father was a sustenance. How are we when it comes to withdrawing from the noise, the crowds, to be alone with God? Oftentimes, we are too busy perhaps, or too self-sufficient. Scared by, by what we might find when we finally get alone with our inner world and God. Meeting God in silence and solitude in a posture of listening prayer has a way of reorientating our hearts to the God who is the source and sustainer of our life. It is a discipline that redirects our hearts from self-mastery to surrender. And here's why, and I think we probably all can relate to this. In the quiet place alone, without the distractions of texts, images, voices, phones, we may feel, actually, a certain kind of nakedness before God. No longer covered by the comforting beep of phone notifications or other things that keep up the illusion we are irreplaceable or somehow needed to keep it all going. However, it can also be a freeing experience as we finally confront our true self with all of the uncertainties, doubts, and fears that are in it and allow God to speak a word of grace and truth to these vulnerabilities. Like the Apostle Paul, we give ourselves the space to hear the words, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In silence and solitude, God has the space to confront the fears that fuel our self-sufficiency. Fear that it will all fall apart if we take our hands off the wheel. Fear that we won't have enough to provide for our loved ones. Fear that it's up to us to maintain a likable persona on Facebook, Instagram, you name it. If you can relate to this space, meditate on verse number one of Psalm 23 just for a moment. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Number two, and this I think also is not talked about that much, and that's Sabbath. Sabbath. This is another practice we see Jesus observing throughout his life. From the outset of creation, God has declared this day of rest holy. And interestingly, it's the only spiritual practice to have, to have made the Ten Commandments. Now some of you will be thinking, we're not under law. We're under grace. We're under Jesus. And that's true. However, that doesn't negate the wisdom that is in the Ten Commandments and the other law that we find in the Old Testament. And Jesus in his own ministry never taught that Sabbath observance was no longer important except when observance had been hijacked by the Pharisees and their own interpretations and additions. You see, Sabbath is a day to delight in the good things God has given us rather than stir up desires for the things we don't have. If observed, it is a practice that can deepen our dependence on God for it reminds us that we are not the center of the universe that God is Lord, not us, and is quite able to provide for our needs as we are resting. Now, Eugene Peterson, um, excuse the French, but he once called Saturday, which we would call a day off. It's not Sabbath, it's a day off. He would call it, I think he called it 
the bastard's Sabbath or something like that. He was basically getting at, we, we're not doing Sabbath when we have a day off. When we do Saturday, we're not doing Sabbath. Sabbath is different in that we stop from work, efficiency, product, productivity. No errands, emails, or DIY projects. Instead, we rest and enjoy the fruits of our labor on the other six days. It's a day to delight in God and his creation, to enjoy the company of family and friends without agendas or to-do lists. And if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, I've only started doing this well. Amelia and I have only really started trying to do Sabbath well. But as we've started to do it well, we have just noticed the change. As we've gone into Wednesday and Thursday, we've started saying to ourselves, we can do this because Sabbath is coming. And on Monday or Tuesday morning, as we get up, as we go to work, we can say, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this morning because Sabbath has, has refreshed us. Now again, this is no longer a command for us. Don't hear it as a weight or a burden or an obligation. It is simply invitation. As Augustine once said, love God and do what you will. Like if we're loving God, and Jesus pretty much got at this too when he said love God and love your neighbor. That, in that you fulfill the law. So this is not a law. This is an invitation. And the invitation can be heard in the words of Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I believe Sabbath is one of those rhythms of grace that we hear in this invitation. And lastly, and probably not the most popular thought, I know, but I want to talk about suffering because it was a major player in our journey to depending on God in, in, in a deeper way. And it's not a practice like the other two. Like I'm not saying, hey, tomorrow go out and have a good dose of suffering. Like just pick up that suffering and start practicing it. No, we, we can't practice suffering, can we? It's not something we can probably even want to actively invite into our lives. But it is something that has the ability to develop and even fast-track our dependence on God. Be it an illness, a miscarriage, a disability, even the death of a loved one, the things that bring suffering to our lives can, only, can also be the things that bring us to our knees in prayer, fostering greater dependence on and ultimately intimacy with God. We certainly have found this to be true in our own journey over the past year. And why is this so? Like, what is it with suffering? And why did the writers of the letters in the New Testament like almost rejoice in suffering? You know, count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter tribulation. Like, yeah, right. Um, well, here's why. Because suffering has a great way of showing us just how helpless we really are. That's it. It highlights our helplessness. Whereas when, God, um, when life is going well, it can be easy to forget our helplessness and stop depending on God. Helplessness shows us, um, sorry, suffering shows us just how helpless we are. 
And helplessness is, imp- is important because without it, we convince ourselves that life is pretty manageable on our own. And then we miss out on the power that could be ours if we simply acknowledged we are helpless. Listen to these words by Paul Miller. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he isn't already doing. He's inviting us into his life of helpless dependence on his heavenly father. To become more like Jesus is to feel increasingly unable to do life, increasingly weary of your heart. Paradoxically, you get holier while you are feeling less holy. The very thing you are trying to escape, your inability, opens the door to prayer and then grace. You know, kids, kids, man, they are the experts at helplessness, eh? You ever seen a kid? Skins their knee, falls over, just comes straight to the parent, arms out, looking up, bolting. They know that they're helpless without their parent. And suffering is the great reminder that all of us are God's children, needing to run home to the Father and be embraced by him. I used to think rather stupidly that maturity and faith meant needing God less almost, as if the more character we had, the less we'd need God as this crutch to lean on. However, as I've journeyed through the valley of the shadow of death myself, I've come to realize that dependence on God actually increases as our faith does. So when suffering comes your way, grieve for sure. But with the arms of others around you, I invite you to see it as a gift of reminding you of your helplessness and where you need to turn. I want to end this morning just by slowly, meditatively, prayerfully reading Psalm 23. And if you want to close your eyes for this, um, I invite you to do that. But as we come to the end of, of the Lord's word to us this morning, may we just be reminded again of his goodness and of how much we need him. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.